The Gospel reading today is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're in uh, week three of our sermon series on five simple words. We've talked about the practice of saying no, the practice of saying yes, and today we're going to be talking about the practice of saying enough. You ever say that? Enough. Well, you may say it in other contexts, but when is enough enough? I mean, how much is enough, especially when it comes to money, possessions, material things? How much is enough? How do we know what enough is? You know, they've done uh, studies um, on this and uh, found about happiness and fulfillment. In 2010, Princeton did a study on happiness and how much money does a person need to make to be happy? Do you know what it is? Anybody remember this study? $75,000, that if you made $75,000, I know we live in Seattle and you're all going, no way could that work, right? I, I'm with you. 
by the way, this, let me just put a disclaimer on this sermon. You know, when, we, when, it, when preachers preach, sometimes we're preaching to ourselves as much as everybody else. So keep in mind that as I preach this morning, if you feel a little, it's, it's, it may hurt. Let me just put it that way. What I'm going to say today may hurt, but it's also hurting me, right? Does that make sense? All right. So we're all in this together is what I'm saying. But if you look at, so we think of this $75,000, right, this, this, this kind of figure. And what they determined was that up to $75,000, that's how much you needed for the necessities of life. You know, shelter, clothing, uh, food, those types of things. But you became no more happy after, if you made $80,000 or $85,000. So no more money made you any more happier after that. So it was kind of like this optimal level. And then after that, happiness did not necessarily go up if you made more money. So then another study got done a couple years ago and said, well, let's not ask about happiness. Let's talk about fulfillment and life satisfaction. And they came up with another number for that. And the number for that was $95,000. Now we're, now we're feeling better, right? We're all feeling better in Seattle, right? And so $95,000 was what it meant for you to be fulfilled and satisfied. But at that point, any, anything beyond $95,000 wasn't going to make you any more happy or more fulfilled in life. That happiness and fulfillment comes from some other place than money, but there are certain things that we need to pay for to live our lives, right? Let me tell you about one more qualitative thing, research that uh, a a gentleman did. Uh, Let me get his name right. His name was Norman Vanneman. And he thought to himself, well, what if we had it all? Like, what, what if we were to actually live the American dream, I mean, as we pursue this lifestyle, what, what, what is the American dream? What is it that we're pursuing? What is it that we're looking for? And he came up with this model American family living the American dream. And let me describe it to you and see if you resonate with it or not. So what he, he came up with was this model American family it was a, a, a married couple with two teenage children living in an upscale apartment in New York City. They've got two vacation homes, one in the Hamptons and one in the Caribbean. They send their kids to private schools and they give generously to charity. They have a maid, a driver, and a personal chef. How many people just like the driver? I just love to have the driver, right? So, so you look at it, we all kind of laugh, right? Guess, guess how much you would need to live that lifestyle? A hundred million dollars. So how many people here expect to be there, right? Yeah, thanks, John. <laughs> Jenny, would you straighten him out? Would you please just get right? But see, that's, you know, what is it that we're pursuing? What are we looking to? And how much is enough? Is it 75? Is it 95? Is it $100 million? Is that really what it's going to take? Actually, what we discover is that Jesus says none of that is going to make you fulfilled. Jesus has a whole nother scenario going on here. here, We're in this Sermon on the Mount again, and it's interesting, this whole section talks about where we're storing up things and then what our eye is looking towards and focus on. Then it talks about not worrying. It's, It's amazing how Jesus in this section, in this gospel lesson, packs in all socioeconomic classes. To the rich, he says, don't store things up. And to the poor, he says, don't worry. He said, there are other things that are more important than all of this, and he sums it up, and we're going to talk about this, the kingdom of God. He says, you find fulfillment in the kingdom of God. You won't find fulfillment in storing up things, in worrying. Any of these things will not bring you fulfillment. But he starts out talking about not storing up things here on earth where wrath 
where Roth, rust and moth, like how I conflated the two, um, uh, when these things destroy, like it, from a kingdom perspective, storing up things does not make sense. Because from a kingdom perspective, it's, what God is saying is, why would you invest your life in something that you can't take with you, that's going to decay, that's not going to make, it, it's going to fall apart, when you could, cre- you could be storing things up for eternity? So what is it about human beings? And I think God, in God's compassion, says this to us. Like, why are you hung up? Why are you attached to these things? If you think you're not attached, let's just go national here. And I want to show you a chart this morning of, this is construction spending on storage facilities in America <laughs> in the past 12 years. We don't, we don't like to store anything up, do we? No, not at all. I mean, this is in addition to garages, basements, and attics, and, and sheds and backyards. Think about that. This is additional off-site storage for the American population. We have since, two, you can see in about 2013, it started going back up again, and it's still going up. We have 2.3 billion square feet of storage space in America today. 2.3 billion. That's seven square feet of storage space for every human in America. Every United States citizen. Now, this begs a question for me, for all of us, I hope. How is it that we're doing a better job sheltering our stuff that we don't even use and we can't find a way to shelter people? What's that say about us? What is this storing and hoarding and grabbing and maintaining and possessing saying to us? Maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe it has nothing to do with a figure or a number. Maybe it's a heart issue because that's what Jesus said it was. Did you notice? Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your heart in a storage facility? Well, before you answer, let me give you a little example out of Matt's life. So, I just moved across the country. I had a lot of stuff. Amen, come on, right? (laughs) A lot of stuff, and I had to figure out a way to move it across the country, so I had to downsize it, right? And I had a basement and a two-car garage and a shed in the backyard, and I had plenty of room, and I had a 2,800-square-foot house, and I moved to Seattle, It's not 2,800 square feet, and there's no garage, and there's no basement. So, but anyway, I I thought I had it all figured out when I moved across country. I got it all down in one container and shipped it across the country, and then I got here and moved in my house, and then I moved in the house, and I still needed to get rid of more stuff because it didn't all fit. We're still getting rid of stuff. See me later after the service if you want some stuff. (laughs) So, And all this was going on, but during that transition, what we did was we had a yard sale. And at the yard sale, we put out all our stuff, we cleaned out our basement, we were getting rid of stuff, and one of the things that I put in the yard sale was a collection of slot cars that I had when I was a kid. Now, slot cars are what I play with when a kid is, there's a track, and you put the car in it, and you have this little... A trigger and it makes the cars go fast around the track. It's electric electricity. And I had these, my friends and I used to race them and everything. And I had been carrying around this collection of slot cars since I was 
in middle school. Now, I will be honest with you, I don't play with slot cars anymore. <laughs> so, so here I was carrying around something that I no longer used or played with, and I had carried it along and I had stored it and put it in a box and moved it from basement to basement to basement, from storage place to storage place to storage place, because I thought it was important. And then I went to sell it. And I thought, hey, no big deal, we'll just sell it, right? Guy comes, toy collector comes to our yard sale, comes over to my collection of slot cars, and he wants to buy them. And if you don't think you're emotionally attached to something, <laughs> sell it. Put it in a yard sale. Put it away. And so he came over and he wanted to buy it and we were negotiating price and I was like, oh, you know, well, you know, and I'm like trying to, and he, he obviously did this before because he could tell that I was emotionally attached to these slot cars. Think about that. A grown man attached to a toy that he had been transporting from place to place to place throughout his life, carrying it with him. Why was I emotionally attached? Because it reminded me of this great time that I used to have on friends. It reminded me of something past. So it, it had, had, had meaning for me. It had some nostalgia for me. It, but I had an emotional attachment. And here's what he said to me. And this is when I kind of caught on what was happening inside of me. He said, well, what, here's what you, he's, he's like, well, and it was like he was talking to me like I was a kid, you know, like with his toys, you know. And so he said, well, why don't you keep this favorite, your favorite car? <laughs> and sell me the rest, right? And I thought to myself, this guy is genius. <laughs> he has done this before, right? But that's when I recognized what was going on inside of me. And I needed to just let go of it, right? And so I said, no, take them all. <laughs> you know, just take all of them. They all need to go. It all need, I need to let go of all of it, right? Because somehow I've got an emotional attachment to something that I keep dragging around with me and it's time to let it go. <laughs> and so I sold them. I don't know if I got a good deal or not. It doesn't matter. I needed to let go of them. If you think you're not emotionally attached to things or money, Answer me this, why are finances the number one thing that marital couples argue about? I'm not looking for an answer, I'm just asking you to ponder that. What is it about money, possessions, things that gets us so attached, emotionally attached? Jesus is actually saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is our heart attachment to God or to slot cars? Is our heart attachment to the things of God or are they to other things in our lives that we keep holding on to, that we're attached to? You see, our inner core, the heart, will dictate a lot of our actions and direct a lot of our actions. And Jesus is just speaking that truth into us and speaking to that emotional attachment that we can have to things. He goes on and he says something else, and this is actually connected to this heart issue. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, this doesn't make sense, and it's actually kind of a hard teaching to understand, but I actually think that this, eye, this, this teaching on the eye and the lamp of the body and this lightness and darkness that Jesus is talking about is actually attached to the heart issue. Because in the pre-modern world, 
when they looked, they didn't have all the science around ophthalmology. So they looked at the eye as being like lamps or lanterns, right? And so light came and they, they, pre-moderns would look at a person and say, I can see light or darkness in you when I look into your eyes. So they weren't saying that the eyes were the windows of the soul, you know, which is more contemporary, but pre-moderns really saw that you could read a person based on their eyes, that what was inside of them was coming out of their eyes. So whatever their heart, wherever their heart is, wherever their treasure, right, whatever's in their heart could be seen through their eyes. And what's inside of a person is either light or dark. And that how a person focused and how they acted outside of themselves through their eyes, through their action, they were either generous or they were greedy. <laughs> they were either giving stuff away and being generous to other people or they were holding on to stuff. They were either being light or they were being dark. And if, you're all, if you have light, then you're going to be full of light. And if you have a little bit of darkness, you're going to have a lot of darkness inside of you. Again, this attachment, the eye and the heart are connected in Jesus' teaching. So basically what Jesus is saying is that whatever's inside your heart is going to be revealed in the eye, the lamp of your body. So we actually have an emoji that captures this. One of the most used emojis in social media is the heart eye one, right? But I looked at this and I said, that's what Jesus is saying, right? Whatever is in your heart, is going to be coming through your eyes. And whatever you're focused on in life, right, whatever you're focused on and driven by and motivated in your heart, you're going to focus your eyes on, right? And the question that Jesus is raising about your heart and about where your focus is, is, is it on the kingdom of God? He says that. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well, so that our eyes... The things that we're supposed to, the, the focus, the, what we're supposed to love is God and God's kingdom and God's people, right? That's where our emoji should be, for lack of a better word. So you think about that. And so here's this thing about, Jesus also says about God and money, and we'll talk about, but what's happening inside of us here, right? What's the emotional? So here, here God is inviting us to be a part of a kingdom. God is inviting us to seek the kingdom. It's an invitation. God is not a God of coercion or forcing us to do this, right? God says it's an invitation, it's a choice, it's a decision for you to be a part of the kingdom. But Jesus actually calls money in the Greek mammon, which is a word saying that money and possessions can become an idol in themselves. And so what Jesus is saying is that there's a difference between the kingdom of God, which is coming to you with an invitation and inviting you into the kingdom and inviting you into a different way of living, and then there is mammon or money or possessions or materialism, and that works differently. I don't know if you've noticed it, but I, I look at mammon and money and possessions as kind of like a bird of prey that swoops into our lives and gets its hooks into us and then takes us wherever it wants us to go. If you don't believe me, think about it. You think you're in control of your spending? You think you're the one that's in control of your money? Your possessions? Right? Maybe not. The other thing I find about this kind of attachment, really we get attached, we get caught up into, 
is that all along while money is dragging us through the world, it's also whispering things to us that we think we want to hear. So if you don't believe me, let's take a look at some famous taglines of products. Quiz time today. You're on a quiz show today. I'm going to give you a tagline. You tell me the company. Just, yeah, I didn't even have to say it. You guys, how many, just do it, right? Nike, yeah. Wow, you guys have these things memorized for some reason. Interesting. I wonder what I would do if I put different scriptures up on the screen, if you could give me, yeah, I'm just kidding. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. All right. How about have it your way right away? Burger King, thank you to that generation. Uh, that was an older one. Here's, here's one, share the fantasy. Share the fantasy, all right, now this, these are the, this, according to the World Wide Web, these are the most popular of all time, so just they brought, reach abroad. Some of you, I'm gonna look to some of you, share the fantasy, Chanel number five. Perfume commercial, I know we block our eyes when we see those, okay, gotcha. Um, because you're worth it. Ah, yeah, L'Oreal, right, makeup. Uh, design for driving pleasure. Design for driving pleasure. It's going to be a car company. BMW. BMW. And then lastly, bet you can't eat just one. Not Doritos, but you're close. Lay's, right, good. So Lay, but think about that, right? So... What's happening inside of us is that we get dragged around by our spending, and what is happening to us is it's then we hear this, you deserve it. It's for your good. It's for your pleasure. You're in control. You need this. Your life will be better if you have this, right? And we buy into those things. It's it's like this whisper in our ear constantly in our culture, saying to to us, you need these things, you have to have these things, your life will not be what? Fulfilled if you don't have them. But we've already established that you can't create more fulfillment through spending, making more money, those things. So Jesus comes to us with the kingdom and says to us, you cannot serve both God and money. You have to make a decision. Now, as Americans, though, we're still trying to figure out how to do that. I still think we're trying to figure out how can I serve God and still have lots of money? I think we're still there. Another example I would give you is Tom's Shoes. Tom's, are you familiar with Tom's Shoes? They were kind of popular a little while ago. So you would buy a pair of shoes from Tom's and then Tom's would give a pair of shoes to someone in a developing country, which is a great concept. It's called conscious capitalism. And actually, I I, I like this idea of conscious capitalism because if we're going to spend the money anyway, why not make sure that some of it goes to someone else? So we're actually doing this, right? And you'll notice that a lot of companies now are starting to do this and have started doing this over the past five years is what they're doing is they're saying, all right, we're going to take some of what we are, our profit, and we're going to give it away to somebody else in need. And so I thought about this and I looked at Tom's shoes when they first came out. And to be honest with you, I didn't like the style, I didn't like them. I never bought a pair of Toms. Sorry. I never bought a pair of Toms. I just couldn't see myself wearing Toms, but I was glad to give my money away to give to somebody else who needed a pair of shoes, right? Does that make sense? But here's the thing. When we're buying something and, and feeling good about giving part of that to somebody else, aren't we trying to serve God and money? Think about it. 
because what's happening inside of us is I want to feel good about my spending. (laughs) Here's the thing. What if you didn't buy the shoes at all? You just took the money and gave it to someone who needed it. And you got nothing in return. No recognition. Go rewind the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, do your giving in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do it without ever expecting a reward or any recognition at all. Wow. Maybe there's a heart issue here. Maybe there's something going on inside of us that we need to get our heads and hearts around. I would say one of those things is this. I think something's got to change inside of me. The first thing that needs to change inside of me is this. It's all God's. Everything I have, every cent in my checking account is God's, not mine. I am simply a steward of what God has given me, and I am, if I'm a kingdom-minded person, I am to use what God has given me and as God directs me. It's not my money, it's God's. Get, if we can get our brains around that first, maybe our hearts will follow. But have you noticed something? I haven't even talked about one specific word today yet. Enough. Because we got to unpack the heart before we learn to say enough. Because here's what happens. When our hearts say enough, when our inner core of who we are is able to say, I have enough. Let's all try that. Let's just say that, right? Let's all just say that out loud together. We're going to say, I have enough. Let's all say that. I have enough. Just say that. Repeat that to yourself. You have more than you need, most of us. We all have enough. See, when our inner heart is saying, I have enough, guess what follows? Contentment, (laughs) fulfillment, gratitude. And you know what happens to my eyes? I start to see the world around me differently. I start to look for ways to be generous because I've got enough. I don't have to hold on to it anymore. I don't have to like grab it. I don't have to be attached to it anymore because I have enough and therefore I'm able to be generous to others. And my eyes can begin to see things in the world differently and begin to see other people differently and to be generous and find ways to be generous because I got enough. Generosity flows from the ability to say, I have enough, enough. Sometimes we need to look at our stuff in our house and we need to just say, enough. I've got enough. Or the food on our plates. Sometimes we have to say, I've had enough. I don't need more. Or the clothes in our closets. We need to walk into our closets and say, you know, I think I've got enough. Shirts. If you remember that sermon. (laughs) I have enough. Because then generosity will flow. Then my eyes will begin to focus on other things because my heart has been reoriented to the kingdom of God. And here's the other thing. If you don't believe me and you don't believe Jesus, maybe you'll believe some more research. I think, I think Jesus is good enough. But I know some of you may not be there. But here's this. When we underindulge as human we actually experience more gratitude. If we underindulge, we'll actually be, have more gratitude in life. 
because we'll learn to appreciate things more when we underindulge ourselves. Whether it comes to food, money, possessions, whatever it is. The other thing they've discovered too is that when I am generous, when I practice generosity, guess what happens to my level of fulfillment in life? Goes up. We think that we're going to be more fulfilled by spending and getting and grabbing and storing when reality is, is that as we give things away and as we're generous, we actually feel more fulfilled as human beings. And you don't even have to be a Christian to feel that. Think about that. That's the way God wired us. We are actually wired to be in the kingdom. <laughs> Why do we keep rejecting the kingdom? Why do we keep trying to live life on our own terms in our own way outside of the kingdom when God has already created us to be the kingdom? <laughs> in fact, Jesus said what? The kingdom is near. The kingdom is among you, in you. It's not out there. It already exists in you. Seek first the kingdom. You know, Warren Buffett, third largest, wealthiest person in the world, still lives in the house he bought in 1958. Never bought a new house. I've bought more houses than Warren Buffett. And I'm not that wealthy. But here's the point. Why did he do that? Why hasn't he bought a new house? He could afford multiple, he probably does have multiple, sorry. He probably does have multiple houses. But why did he, why does he still live in the same house? His answer was, because that's where people gather in my life. And Warren Buffett recognized as a human being that money is not everything. If the richest, one of the richest people on the planet realizes that I don't get my fulfillment from money, <laughs> but from people, from relationships, from gathering with others, from community, we could learn something even from Warren Buffett. Community, relationship, kingdom stuff. That's what God calls us to. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. You're not coerced, you're not forced. You just live in it. Be who God created you to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.